I saw him when he came through the front doors. Tall, solidly built. Dark brown hair and eyes. Skin still fairly dark because it had been dark when I'd made him a vampire. My beloved David. I was on the stairway. It was one of those very opulent old hotels, divinely overdone, full of crimson and gold, and rather pleasant. My victim had picked it. My victim was dining with his daughter, and I'd picked up from my victim's mind that this was where he always met his daughter in New York for the simple reason that St. Patrick's Cathedral was across the street. David saw me at once. A slouching, blonde, long-haired youth, bronze face and hands, the usual deep violet sunglasses over my eyes, hair presentably combed for once, body tricked out in a dark blue, double-breasted, Brooks Brothers suit. You've come, I said. I didn't think you would. Of course, he scolded, the gracious accent breaking softly from the young, dark face, giving me the usual shock. This was an old man in a young man's body, recently made a vampire, and by me one of the most powerful of our remaining kind. We found a small table cleaving to the wall. The place was half crowded, the perfect proportion, exactly. The bartender threw a hefty shadow over the small table and murmured predictable phrases that were lost to me in my excitement and in the noise. Something hot, David said. It didn't surprise me. You know... Rum punch or some such, whatever you can heat up. I nodded and made a little gesture to the indifferent fellow that I would take the same thing. Vampires always order hot drinks. They aren't going to drink them, but they can feel the warmth and smell them if they're hot, and that is so good. David looked at me again. Or rather, this familiar body with David inside looked at me, because for me, David would always be the elderly human I'd known and treasured, as well as this magnificent burnished shell of stolen flesh that was slowly being shaped by his expressions and manner and mood. Dear listener, he switched human bodies before I made him a vampire. Worry no more. It has nothing to do with this story. Something's following you again, he asked. This is what Armand told me. Where did you see him? In Paris. He was just walking on the street. He was the first one I saw. He didn't make any move to hurt you. Why would he? Why were you calling to me? Who's stalking you? What is all this? And you've been with Maharet. Maharet was really the only one he ever had to fear. My memories of Maharet held no menace. Only the mystery of a survivor of millennia, a living being so ancient that each gesture seemed marble made liquid, and her soft voice had become the distillation of all human eloquence. If she gave you her blessing, nothing else much matters, I said, with a sigh. A little sound startled me, and I looked over my shoulder. I settled back, embarrassed to have appeared so anxious, and I focused silently for a moment on my victim. My victim was still in the restaurant very near us in this hotel, sitting with his beautiful daughter. I wouldn't lose him tonight. I was sure enough of that. The waiter had set down the hot drinks, and the steam did feel glorious. The piano played sati ever so softly. Life was almost worth living, even for a son of a bitch of a monster like myself. In this very bar, I'd heard my victim say to his daughter two nights ago, You know, 
I sold my soul for places just like this. I'd been yards away, quite beyond mortal hearing, yet hearing every word that fell from my victim's lips. And I was enthralled with the daughter, Dora. That was her name, Dora. I realized David was watching me. Just thinking about the victim who brought me here, I said. I adore him. I was going to feed on him the first time I saw him, but he continues to surprise me. I've been following him around for half a year. I flashed back on them. Yes, they were going upstairs, just as I thought. The night was too wretched even for Dora, though she wanted to go to the church to pray for her father. She was some sort of religious leader, Theodora. She preached to television audiences on the seriousness of values and nourishment of the soul. <laughs> and her father? Ah, well, I'd kill him before I learned too much more. I looked back at David, who was watching me eagerly, shoulder resting against the dark, satin-covered wall. And so what is this new sort of game? he said politely. I don't look so much for simple, evil people, murderers, you know, so much as a more sophisticated kind of criminal. This one's a drug dealer, highly eccentric, an art collector. He loves to have people shot, loves to make billions in a week of cocaine through one gateway and heroin through another, and then he loves his daughter. And she, she has a televangelist church. You're really enthralled with these mortals. The girl sings for Jesus on a television station, I said. Her church will someday have its headquarters in an old convent building in New Orleans. Right now she lives there alone and tapes her programs out of a studio in the French Quarter. Now, let me get this clear, David said. You're being stalked by something and it's got nothing to do with this victim, this uh, drug dealer or whatever, or this televangelist girl. No, it's got nothing to do with him. I said. He doesn't know I'm following him. I didn't catch on right away myself that I was being followed by this thing, this... I start your mind's wondering, what's the matter with you? You want to go back to Maharet, don't you? I asked suddenly, a feeling of hopelessness descending on me. You want to study for the next two hundred years, among all those tablets and scrolls, and look into Maharet's aching blue eyes and hear her voice? I know you do. Does she still always choose? blue eyes. Maharet had been blind, eyes torn out, when she was made a vampire queen. She took eyes from her victims and wore them until they could see no more, no matter how the vampiric blood tried to preserve them. Lestat, David said, pay attention. You must tell me what you are talking about. What's up, my friend? Who's after you? All right. I said. I'll tell you. Now, first, I have to remind you of something. A conversation we had. It was when you were alive still. When you were just a charming old gentleman dying in despair. You said something about an experience you'd had before the war in a Paris cafe. You remember? Yes, I do. I told you that when I was a young man, I thought I'd seen a vision and it sounded precisely like God and the devil talking to each other. I nodded. And when I left you in the jungles last year, 
You said I wasn't to worry. But you weren't going off on any religious quest to find God and the devil in a Paris cafe. You've seen a vision, he asked. That's what's frightening you. I shook my head. Nothing as clear as that. But the thing is stalking me. I hear it, mostly. I hear its steps behind me on the street, and I spin round. I'm terrified of it. And then when it shows itself, well, I usually end up so disoriented I'm sprawled in the gutter like a common drunk. A week will pass. Nothing. Then I'll catch a fragment of the conversation again. Yes, he said. And you feel this thing is letting you hear a little of it. Just the way I thought the vision in the cafe was meant for me. It's tormenting me. Another time, this was only two days ago, I was in New Orleans. I was sort of spying on the victim's daughter, Dora. She lives there in the convent building I mentioned. It's an old 1880s convent, unoccupied for years and gutted so that it's like a brick castle. And this little sparrow of a girl, this lovely little woman, lives there fearlessly, completely alone. She's simply too brave and strong. But not the vampire Lestat who was spying on her. He was out in the courtyard, and he heard the voice right next to his ear, as if two men were talking at his right shoulder, and the other one, the one who is not following me, says quite plainly, No, I don't see him in the same light. I turned round and round, trying to find this thing, close in on it mentally and spiritually, confront it, bait it, and then I realized I was shaking all over. Lestat, you do sound as if you've lost your immortal mind, David said. No, no, don't get angry. I believe you, but let's backtrack. Why were you following the girl? I just wanted to see her. I wouldn't hurt her for anything on this earth. Nothing could persuade me to do that. I sat silent for a moment. I was remembering. I had fallen in love only a short time ago with a mortal woman. A nun. Gretchen had been her name. And I had driven her mad. No, I won't hurt Dora. I learnt my lesson. My only concern is to kill her father in such a way that she experiences the least suffering and the maximum benefit. My, but you are playing games. Well, I have to do something to keep my mind off this thing that's following me, or I'll go mad. I caught my breath. My heart was hurting me. It was beating so fast. No mean feat for a vampiric heart. My victim. I could hear him upstairs. He was still talking with his daughter. Would she not just take one more of his gifts? It was a picture, a painting, perhaps. My focus was not clear. There was that noise again out in the lobby, and I turned abruptly in my chair and looked over my shoulder and then back at David. I listened. I thought I heard it again, like a footstep, an echoing footstep. A deliberately terrifying footstep. I looked at David. Lestat, you're petrified, aren't you? He asked, very sympathetically. David, I think the devils come for me. I think I'm going to hell. I shuddered. You said you'd seen it. Not quite. I was somewhere 
It's not important. I think New York again, yes, back here with him. The victim? Yes, following him. He had some transaction at an art gallery mid-town. He's quite a smuggler. Medieval books, crosses, jewellery, relics. That's the sort of thing he deals in. He's got his most valued treasures stashed in a flat on the Upper East Side. I think the dope money started as a means to an end. I don't know. I read his mind and then I tire of it. And he's evil. And all those relics have no magic and I'm going to hell. Not so fast, he said. The stalker, you said you saw something. What did you see? I fell silent. I had dreaded this moment, but I had to continue. I had called David here for help. I had to explain. I was merely walking, human style. I stopped at an hotel. I went inside to see the flowers. You know, when you think you're losing your mind on account of winter, you can go into these hotels and find lavish bouquets of the most overwhelming lilies. Yes, he said with a little soft, half-hearted sigh. I know. I was in the lobby. I was looking at this huge bouquet. I was thinking to myself, maybe I should kill the victim, and then... I swear this is the way it was, David. The ground was gone. The hotel was gone. I wasn't anywhere or anchored to anything, and yet I was surrounded by people, people howling and chattering and screaming and crying and laughing, and all this was happening simultaneously, and the light, David, the light was blinding. I reached out with everything, every limb, every fiber, just trying to touch something, to regain equilibrium, and then I realized I was standing on terra firma, and this being was in front of me. Its shadow was falling over me. The light was shining behind it, and it stood between me and this light, and it had a face, and the face was dark, extremely dark, and as I looked at it, I lost all control. I must have roared, yet I have no idea if in the real world I made a sound. When I came to my senses, I was still there in the lobby. I looked at the flowers. Nobody in the lobby noticed me. I pretended everything was normal, but I kept trying to remember, kept chasing these fragments beset by bits and pieces of talk, and I kept seeing very clearly this truly...